Here in this sanctuary of ancient dreams, of wisdom and of beauty, we come to grow, to be healed, to stretch mind and heart, to be challenged and renewed, to be helped in our own continuing struggles for meaning and love, to help build a world with more justice and mercy in it, to be counted among the hopers and doers. In the face of cynicism, darkness, brutality, around us and within, we seek to align ourselves with a loving community, a living community, that would affirm rather than despair, that would think and act rather than simply adjust and succumb. Here we invite the spirit of our own humanity and the healing powers under, around, through and beyond it to give us the nerve and grace, the toughness and sensitivity, to search out the truth that frees, the love that moves and the onward flowing life that makes all things new. Well, good morning everyone and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church on this hot and sunny summer's morning as the heat wave returns it seems to London. We are so far a select few, yet we who gather and those who join, of us, join us later on through listening through the podcast, we form this gathered community known as Kensington Unitarians. We follow a long line of searching souls who have come this way before us and we pave the way for those who will follow on this free religious path. So whoever you are, however you are, Whatever state you woke up in this morning, you are welcome here just as you are. Let's bring all that we are to this shared endeavour this morning. A particular welcome to anyone who's here for the first time today. Uh, please make yourselves at home. Hope you find something here of that which you were searching. Um, please do stay for a cup of tea and a biscuit afterwards. And if you're a regular here, of course, thank you for making this a hospitable place for visitors to be. I see and appreciate your warmth and generosity in sharing this, your spiritual home. And let's light our chalice now, as we do each week, and as fellow Unitarians do up and down the country, and Unitarian Universalists all around the world, this simple ritual connects us in solidarity with progressive people of faith the world over, and reminds us of the proud and historic religious tradition of which we are a part. Here, today, in this place and with these people. May we listen so we can hear. May we hear so we can feel. May we feel so we can know. And may we know so that we can change ourselves and change this world. May this chalice we light, this tiny symbolic flame, light our way. Let's take those joys and concerns into an extended time of prayer and reflection now. You might want to take a moment to get yourself into the right state of body and mind for us to pray together. Perhaps put down anything you don't need to be holding. This prayer is adapted from some words by Carl Johnson. Spirit of life, God of all love mystery of the universe and ground of our very being. It is said that you make the sun rise and the life-giving rains fall on both the unjust and the just alike. And in that way, yours is an abounding and generous grace. 
we give thanks for life's many gifts. But it's also true that none of us is ever really spared, neither the just nor the unjust. For try it as we might, we are still all subject to the challenges of pain and anguish, of death and separation, to the unavoidable <coughs> impermanence of our material existence. And yet, the very fact that none is spared suggests that none is ever truly alone. Since we all partake in this passing reality, stumbling from triumph to disaster and back again, and dealing with what life throws at us as best we can. So may the unavoidable fact of our shared human condition foster empathy, compassion and mutual loving support. May the stories of all those who have gone before us, ordinary flesh and blood just like we are, may these stories remind us of the deep reserves of courage and strength that lie within each and every one, vulnerable as we are here and now. And may the transient nature of life compel us to savour every precious moment, while also reminding us, particularly in our most trying and precarious times, that this too shall pass. Let's take a moment now to focus our loving thoughts and prayers on all those who are suffering in our world, through oppression or injustice, through ill health or perhaps sheer bad luck. And let's also pray for those who care, those who act and speak out to improve the lot of those who suffer. Indeed, all of us suffer and all of us can attend to other people's suffering one way or another. So in a moment or two of stillness, let's call to mind a person or a situation that's in need of our loving prayer right now. Let's take another moment to focus our thoughts and prayers on all that that we have to be grateful for right now. All the kindness, beauty and pleasure we've known and that we've witnessed. In another moment of stillness, let's call to mind something we feel moved to give thanks for. Spirit of life, God of all love, as this time of prayer comes to a close, we offer up our joys and concerns, our hopes and our fears, our beauty and our brokenness, and we call on you for healing, insight and renewal. As we look forward to the coming week, help us to live well each day and to be our best selves, using our gifts in the service of love, justice and peace. Amen. I've got a story for you, a tiny little story. Once upon a time, two friends, Linda and Joe, were walking down a crowded street in the big city. It was rush hour, the traffic was heavy, the noise was high, there were revving engines, drivers impatiently tooting their horn, people creating hubbub along the way and talking on their mobile phones as they walked along. 
And amongst all this hustle and bustle, Linda turned to her friend and said, you know what, I can hear a grasshopper. Joe said, you what? How can you hear a grasshopper with all this going on? You must be imagining it. Besides, it's all concrete and glass and metal around here. I've never seen a grasshopper in the middle of the city. But Linda insisted, no, really, I can hear it. I can hear it. I'll show you. She cupped her ear to try and work out where the sound was coming from. And she took her friend over to a big planter full of shrubs. There was a grasshopper, just as she said, chirruping away merrily. Joe was gobsmacked. She said, well, that's amazing. You must have superhuman hearing powers or something. What, what's your secret? But Linda said, no, my hearing's no different to yours. There's no special secret. But look, let me show you something else. She reached into her pocket, pulled out some loose change. She dropped it on the floor. And despite all the noise and the hubbub, everyone within a 10-foot radius turned round to see where the sound of the money was coming from. <laughs> and Linda said, see, it all depends what you're really listening out for. And that's the story of the grasshopper in the big city. <laughs> to see, simply to look, and to see is an ethical act and intentional choice. To see with open eyes is a spiritual practice and thus a risk. For it can open you to ways of knowing the world and loving it that will lead to inevitable consequences. The awakened eye is a conscious eye, a willful eye, and brave, because to see things as they are, each in its own truth, will make you very vulnerable. Think of yourself as a prism made of glass, reflecting everything exactly as it is, unable to exist dishonestly, reflecting beauty where there's beauty, violence where there's violence, loveliness and unexpected joy where there is joy, Violation, where there is violation. Here's the front page of the paper. Here's that seedy, gossipy conflict at your job. Here's a memory, unblurred by wishful thinking. Here's a perfect afternoon in spring. Buds now on the trees, blackbirds in the marsh. Here's the world, just as it is. Now look. That kind of seeing is a choice. And it is a sacred practice. 
And then there is refraction. Taking into yourself as the prism takes in light. The truth of what you see and hear and transforming it somehow, changing its direction, acting on it, rendering it somehow anew. That again is holy work. The spring day received comes out again as gratitude, dispersed into a spectrum. A sorrow, yours or someone else's, fully realized and received, not denied, not covered up, not justified or explained away, ignored. Some sorrow, clearly, bravely seen, is taken in, absorbed and felt, and re-emerges, bent now into compassion. To see clearly is an act of will and conscience. It will make you very vulnerable. It is persistent, holy, world-transforming work. come to a time for meditation so you might want to have a wiggle get comfortable in your chair again put down anything you don't need to hold you might want to get your feet on the floor some people close their eyes some might focus on the candles in the center I'm going to read some introductory words by Richard S Gilbert and after those words we'll have a good few silence should few minutes of shared silence which I'll end with a ding from our bell Be gentle with one another. 
It's a cry from the lives of people battered by thoughtless words and brutal deeds. And it comes from the lips of those who speak them and the lives of those who do them. Who of us can look inside another and know what is there of hope and hurt, of promise and pain? Who can know from what far places each has come or to what far places each may hope to go? Our lives are like fragile eggs. They crack and the substance escapes. Handle with care. Handle with exceedingly tender care, for there are human beings within. Human beings as vulnerable as we are, who feel as we feel, who hurt as we hurt. Life is too transient to be cruel with one another. It's too short for thoughtlessness, too brief for hurt. Life is long enough for caring, lasting enough for sharing, precious enough for love. Be gentle with one another. This Sunday is the first tackling our new theme for the month of August, paying attention. And this morning I want to talk about a particular kind of paying attention. Now as soon as we set the theme for this month, I knew what I wanted to talk about, but I didn't know what to call it. And even now as I stand here, I'm not sure what to call it. But for the next 15 minutes, just to be getting on with, let's call it sensitivity. The distilled message of today's service is just this. There's nearly always more going on in any given situation than is apparent at face value. And we could, and maybe should, put a bit more effort into these subtexts and subtleties, into reading between the lines, listening out for what's not being said, listening out for the stories that are going untold. I reckon it'd be of benefit to everyone if we could each cultivate greater personal sensitivity in order to have a better sense of what's going on around us, by which I mean what's really going on. Now, arguably, some are just born a little bit more sensitive than others in the most literal of senses. There's been quite a bit written about this in the last 20 years or so. Perhaps the most well-known voice on this subject is Elaine Aron, a clinical psychologist whose book, The Highly Sensitive Person, claims that about 15-20% of the population could be said to have a hypersensitive nervous system. That's a physical thing. It's about the equipment we've been born with for perceiving the world around us, for seeing and hearing and feeling. According to Aron, this 20% of people, these highly sensitive people, just pick up more. 
they automatically tune in to what's going on around them. They find it hard to switch off, in fact. They tend to sense and process everything very deeply, tune into how others are feeling. As a result, they might have more empathy. They might worry about other people's well-being a bit more than the average person. So maybe you're one of that 20%. Maybe you got a physiological head start when it comes to sensitivity. Or perhaps you know you're at the other extreme, not necessarily insensitive in terms of what you were born with, um, but perhaps you tend to be a bit oblivious sometimes and you know it despite your best efforts. And there's no judgment implied in this. It's, it's just the dispositional raw material we got dealt, the hand we ended up with. It's good to have some awareness of this baseline capability but whatever we were given, we've still got choices that we can make about what we do with what we were given. We can all choose to cultivate personal sensitivity as a virtue and to work on building it up. It's not quite like building your biceps. As far as I know, as yet, there are no sensitivity gyms where you can go to work on it. Although perhaps if we think it's worth it, that's what we're doing here at church, in a way. It's strengthening our capacity, in a way, to discern what's going on. And for most of us, that process is going to involve a certain amount of personal development. Now, I should say in passing that to cultivate sensitivity actively, even to see it as a positive thing at all, that's a reasonably countercultural thing to do. When I was doing my research for this service, I started out by googling something like how to be more sensitive, and the results came up how to be less sensitive. That's not what I asked for. <laughs> In fact, one of the first results was a, an agony aunt column from Mariella Frostruck in The Guardian entitled, I'm too sensitive, how can I toughen up? It, it was not a fun read, it wasn't a particularly kind read. Now I get it, it's hard to be sensitive in the world. You tend to get overwhelmed by the too muchness of everything. You're prone to be mocked and knocked by those who are rather more bullish. So I can see why someone might write to an agony aunt and say, please save me from my own sensitivity. But at the same time, it makes me sad because looking at it another way, sensitivity is a secret superpower. It's the power, literally the power of super senses, to see with open eyes, to hear with open ears, to feel with an open heart. Yet the world we're living in struggles to imagine why anyone might see it in such positive terms. Let's broaden it out a bit now and go back to what is after all the title of the service, what's going on? In any given situation, what does it mean? What does it truly look like in practice to be more sensitive, to pay more attention, to truly open our eyes, ears, heart and mind to others? Well, there are various dimensions to social and interpersonal sensitivity. It could include really listening to what people are saying, especially when they speak about themselves, their story, their life, and doing our best to remember what they've said and handle it with care. It could include reading people's feelings, picking up on what's not being said and perhaps why it's not being said out loud. It could include being aware of the larger social and political context, how it's affecting people, their conduct, their opportunities in life. And it almost certainly includes empathising with others to try and understand their experience, to be curious, to notice what struggles they're facing, what burdens they have to carry. Even just bearing in mind that the way we are personally experiencing a situation is not necessarily the way that everybody else in the room is experiencing that situation, because each of us is bringing our own context, circumstances and accumulated life baggage along for the ride. We've all got our own particular goggles through which we're interpreting an experience. Even bearing that in mind is a good start when it comes to working out what's really going on. 
and as the quotation on the front of your order of service today suggests, it does require a bit of intentional effort. In the words of Leslie Jameson, empathy isn't just something that happens to us. It's not just a meteor shower of synapses firing across the brain. It is also a choice we make to pay attention to extend ourselves. And I really like that phrase, to extend ourselves, for it really speaks out of that reaching out towards others, that element of it. And I'd also add, beyond paying attention at a most basic level, it's also a choice we make to be curious about others, to be curious about other people's reality. And we can choose or not choose to ask that question, what's going on, what's going on beneath the surface, what's the bigger picture? Now, at this point, there's another question you might be asking yourself, what's the point? (laughs) It's a fair question. None of this sensitivity or awareness or paying attention, um, none of it makes much difference unless it helps bring about more caring attitudes and actions. Luckily, there's no shortage of opportunities to practice this sort of sensitivity in daily life, though. Here's a completely made-up, slightly caricatured caricatured example of the sort of situation I'm talking about. A thumbnail sketch. Picture the scene. You're in the pub after work with colleagues. There's about eight of you sat round a table, chatting away. Your mate Phil, he's quite senior, he suggests that the gang should go on to eat at a fancy restaurant in town later on in the evening. Now, several people nod and seem pretty enthusiastic. Going on past form, that means that's probably what you'll do. You'll all drift along to this restaurant later on. But looking around the table, you notice a few of the others have gone slightly quiet. Perhaps one or two of them are looking slightly awkward. There's Nina over there. She's quite young, only recently moved to London. She's relatively new to the job. You've already picked up the impression she's quite hard up. More generally, you know how hard it is for young people to make ends meet in London these days, and you wonder... Perhaps she can't afford to go to that fancy restaurant. She might feel pressure to go anyway to fit in with her new workmates, and especially as it was Phil's idea, he's the boss. Then over there, there's Jeff. He's just come back to work after having his knees replaced. He's not totally comfortable on his, on his legs yet. He's a bit more fed up all round because he doesn't really like thinking of himself as a person who had a knee replacement. It's making him feel his age. You suspect he's going to struggle a bit with a long walk to the restaurant and it's on the second floor. You don't know if there's a lift. But he's too proud to say anything. And Ali, she told you privately she's recovering from an eating disorder. Social events that are based around food are difficult for her full stop. She'll probably make her excuses and go home early. And what's up with Steve? He's looked a bit off all night. But at the same time, you know Phil, the one who suggested the restaurant in the first place. He's finding work really stressful. He's going through a rough patch himself. He lives alone. This time out with his colleagues on a Friday night, that's possibly the only human contact he gets all week, really. The suggestion of a nice meal out, it might mean more to him than everybody realises. And so on and so on. Everyone round the table, including you, has got their own stuff going on. None of it's being said out loud or acknowledged round the table. And all of your internal assessments of what's going on for everyone, well, that's going to have happened in the blink of an eye. So once you've paid attention, once you've got a reasonable grasp of what's going on around the table for everyone, well, then what? You can't necessarily fix the situation for anyone else, though in that situation I've just described. For example, you could make a small intervention on others' behalf. You could say, why don't we go to the chip shop around the corner? You know, that would save the the person who's got any money. That would save the person who can't walk very far. But it doesn't solve the problem for anyone everyone else and that's not the point anyway it's not really about being able to fix things or rescue people it's about seeing and hearing them as real people with their own reality so if you notice that someone's been in a tricky spot 
and there's nothing you can do to help, or if you don't even know exactly what's wrong, we well, could at least check in with them about it later, give them a chance to talk. That in itself is of value alone. I haven't described anything out of the ordinary there. Pretty much any interaction with other humans, family and friends, colleagues or acquaintances, will have some undercurrents going on that are unspoken. Hopefully that imagined scene, at least, will have helped bring to mind occasions both when you've been the one reading the room, striving to be sensitive to what's going on for others, but also the occasions when you've been the one in need, you've been the one in an awkward situation, struggling a bit, the one who's been glad when someone else has seen what's going on stepped up, shown a bit of sensitivity or tact, looked out for you in some compassionate way. And I guess you might also be reminded of situations where it's really not turned out that well. Now there's a whole other side to this topic that I can't possibly do justice to this morning, but I felt I should at least acknowledge before ending this sermon, and that's the shadow side of this sort of sensitivity. It can lead to a sort of martyrdom, where we attune to everybody else's needs but neglect our own. It can be anxiety-provoking, not, not to mention exhausting, to try and take on the whole world's troubles when we've probably got enough of our own at home. In trying to read between the lines, we might end up seeing things that aren't really there. We could convince ourselves that we know what's going on for other people better than they know themselves. We can take it too far. Our concern for others can turn into interference, which is quite invasive. There are all these and more pitfalls to look out for. And even when we get it right, whatever that means, there are questions we could ask about who typically ends up taking responsibility for this sort of care and sensitivity. You may have heard people talk about the unfair division of emotional labour, the tendency for the same few people, often women, perhaps that 20% of highly sensitive people as well, the same few people taking on responsibility for worrying about other people's feelings and well-beings, while other people abdicate responsibility to some greater or lesser extent. Even so, with all these cautions noted, I reckon our world could do with a bit more sensitivity. And I hope today's service will encourage some of you to apply yourself to its cultivation and to speak out for the virtue of sensitivity in a world which so often just says, toughen up. So let's ponder the ways in which each of us can develop even greater sensitivity. It is a secret superpower after all. And let's make the choice again and again to extend ourselves to empathetically reach out towards others in a spirit of care and compassion. In the week to come, as we go about our daily business, let us pause from time to time to pay attention and to ask that question, what's going on? No, what's really going on? May we truly open our eyes, ears, hearts and minds to all those we encounter along the way. Amen. To wish for compassion, to pray for courage, to experience doubt, to bear sorrow, to strive for sureness. All these are qualities which touch our lives as they unfold. But to feel a genuine fellowship for the whole human family, to act so that our empathy is evident wherever we go, maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the lifelong goal. In the days ahead, may each of us extend ourselves just a bit and risk being a little more sensitive, a little more curious about what's going on for others in the world around us. And in doing so, may we help to make this world a kinder and more understanding place to live. Amen.